Actually, we've got our title up there. How did we um, sort of... It was Adrian's fault, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, the, the reason we're here this morning is, yes, Adrian mentioned to you that uh, we were going to do something different. Uh, but Paula and I are here. But the genesis of uh, us being here is that we were having a discussion with Adrian about community. And there have been lots of things written about community. And uh, we were just talking about our church community and what community was like for us. And we thought that we might just share a few things uh, that we were discussing there and just see if that would be of help to uh, our church community. Yeah. Um, you want me to go straight into... You're keeping me on track. <laughs> no, no, no. Did you have anything to add there? Oh, just that community doesn't just involve our church. It, you know, I'm quite passionate about groups. I've, I've written a curriculum for groups and I've, I've run a lot of groups and I've taught group stuff. And it's this continual search for what is true community. What is it like for us to actually move into a place where there's connection and authenticity and love and all those things that we really long for. That happens in this relationship, that happens in families and that happens in church and it happens in the workplace or any place where there are people <laughs> that you want to connect with. So, did you want to say something? No. <laughs> okay. We better sort this out, don't we? <laughs> yeah, what do you want to say? This idea of community is not new. I mean, if we look in the New Testament in the Bible, Paul is writing to communities. They're church communities. And actually, sometimes when he's writing to them, they're having community problems. And there are relational issues. And Paul tries to address them. And there's lots of wisdom that flows from his pen. I think of the, uh, the church community at Ephesus. And when you see that community and you know the history about it, here are some people that are Jewish in their background and some people that are not Jewish or Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles in that time in history wouldn't normally mix. In actual fact, the temple in Jerusalem had a wall in it that excluded the Gentiles. But when Jesus comes into a relationship, he knocks these barriers down. And in that church in Ephesus, it just really blossomed. It actually changed the city. And so that's the possibility that we have here in this church community. And there will be barriers. But Jesus is very good at knocking those barriers down. As I was sort of um, preparing to do group stuff, one of the authors that really appealed to me was a guy called Scott Peck and whatever you think of him, he has some, some good stuff. And he wrote a book called uh, Community Building and he went around the world kind of helping communities to build community. Thanks, Ralph. And he, he said that there were four stages to a group. Pseudo-community, chaos, emptying and closeness and true community. So I just want to address each one really briefly. So next slide, thanks, Rob. So pseudo-community. The underlying premise is don't disturb the peace. So it's counterfeit, it's shallow, where hurts, disappointments, frustrations, uncertainties and the like are avoided. They're covered up and not dealt with. And we do this because we have good manners. <laughs> so we'll kind of, you know, smile to your face and then I'll go home and say, 
Oh, isn't Sue Anderson a fruitcake, you know? What she said to me today was just... <laughs> so we don't like address what happened between us in a way that builds community. We actually just leave it hang. Larry Crabb wrote a book called Becoming a True Spiritual Community and he, he tells a story of a pastor um, who kind of was overseeing home groups and this is what he said. We arrange our bodies in a circle but our souls are sitting in straight back chairs facing away from the others. We all play it safe because none of us feel safe in the group. Not really. <laughs> Is that what your small group's like? Is that what you feel like in this church? If we decide that we want real community, next slide, thanks, Ralph, we move into what Peck calls chaos. And another author has written about, about this. It's not easy to continue communicating honestly with someone you dislike. Have you found that? <laughs> The temptation to avoid the other and to break off communication is very great and yet when the channels of communication are closed, so too are any hopes for conflict resolution, for personal growth, for attitude change and a community is a group that can fight gracefully. All you engaged young couples or couples that are in love today, you're in the honeymoon stage. <laughs> Let me tell you, sooner or later, you're going to get to gridlock because you're moving from pseudo-community into chaos where all your differences come out. Jake and still in the honeymoon <laughs> stage. So I'm really pleased for you. Let me know when you get to gridlock. We'll make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> every relationship, every normal relationship gets to gridlock. Same in our church. Same everywhere. There's only... Have we been in gridlock? Uh, probably a few times we've been <laughs> gridlock. I have fond memories of those times, yeah. Because it's like East meets West. It's like Donald Trump and North Korea. <laughs> the differences. <laughs> I think we're in gridlock now, actually. Um, stick to the agenda. So it's like saying, I thought we were the same. I thought we had... Si we used to sit up and talk all night. It was wonderful. What's happened to us now? And so there's a couple of ways to get out of gridlock. One is you can settle for less and just bury those longings for true connection and community. Or you can move into what Cot Scott Peck says is emptying. Thanks, Rob. Next slide. Emptying and closeness. Emptiness is characterised by the willingness to give up, to surrender, to make room for the new, to gain something better. All of us are disappointed in relationships. You might be disappointed with the parents you have. I know Beck is. Um, <laughs> you might be disappointed with your children. I am. No. <laughs> not true. Not true. <laughs> you Another might gridlock, I think. It's a little problem. Yeah, I've got a few things to sort out when I get home. Um, you might be disappointed in your marriage. You might be disappointed in your church. You might, have, you might be in that chaos stage. So what do I need to give up? If I want real connection and community, what do I need to give up to sacrificially give up while still hanging on to my integrity that I can move into connection and community with you? You were going to say something, uh, 
a little bit about that. We were having a conversation this morning and I'm trying to remember what you said about that. Yeah, I was going to do that <laughs> later. Oh, all right. We'll do that later. Okay. Next slide. Thanks, Rob. So what do I need to give up? <laughs> fixed expectations. What might be a fixed expectation in our church? Any ideas? We have a normal sermon on a Sunday. Absolutely. Thank you, Dean. <laughs> Other people should handle problems the way I do. Any others? Oh, I bet you've got a lot. <laughs> Poor attendance. Full, full attendance. Full attendance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can only really have a good church service if we've got full attendance. What a... Everybody should be loving. Wow, wow. In the way that I determine what is loving. Yes, yes. Fixed expectations. Rigid agendas. What might be a rigid agenda? What's one for you? A rigid agenda? Yeah. Uh, I haven't got any, have I? Oh. <laughs> well, talk about the person next to us. You know, what sort of rigid agendas do they have? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what one would be in a church context for me. You probably have already got it in mind, well, have you? Well, you know, communion should always be served with unleavened bread or something like that. Yeah, Just exactly. a very rigid agenda. That's not one that I have. But yeah, yeah. Communion yeah, every Sunday. Communion every Sunday, yeah. thank you. Yeah, rigid, rigid agenda. agenda. Any others? There have been ones over the past, you must have two services a week or yeah. that you must yeah. meet on, yeah. on a Wednesday night. These can be... Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Start on time. I don't know why they're saying that, Adrian. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we, okay. we used to be in a church where spirituality was defined by turning up at every meeting. It nearly killed us, you know. <laughs> with a young family, but you had to turn up to every meeting to be spiritual. Prejudices. What's a prejudice? Young men aren't real Christians if they wear earrings. Who's got an earring? <laughs> What's another one? What's another prejudice? Tattoos. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Any others? Beards? <laughs> You're in trouble now. <laughs> Black and white, all or nothing thinking. It's so easy to slip into this. And this is what the fundamentals in, in any religion do. It's very black and white. It's all or nothing. What are some black and white type thinking? I'll give you the first example. Um, we can only be a good group if we don't have conflict. So we won't have conflict. We'll get rid of it. If we do have conflict, it's very, very bad. Any others? Any other black and white type thinking that might be in our church circles? Not ours, of course, just church circles. <laughs> Sometimes when a person comes to us with a problem, the black and white thinking can be, oh, well, let's pray. And, yeah. and it so sort of dismisses the problem yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Thank you. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and that's really on the agenda at the moment. So black and white thinking, instant or simplistic likes and dislikes. You know, I've been, I heard um, someone in my family say one time, I've been burned by hiring a Christian, therefore I'll never hire one again. <laughs> what are some others? Simplistic likes or dislikes that just kind of cancel everything out. Any others you can think of? You'll probably think of all these after the, the suit. They'll all start sort of washing over you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, simplistic, yep, yep. Stereotyping or overgeneralising, you know, all Americans are loud and obnoxious is a, is a generalisation um, or a stereotype. <laughs> it's not true, it's absolutely not Where, true. Where's Sam? <laughs> it's not true, mate, it's not true. Any, I don't know where she got that from. Any other stereotyping that we do? All Christians, All Christians are, nice. are nice. That's true. That's yeah. a good one. I like that. Oh, I'd love to unpack that one. Yeah. All Christians are nice. What about quick answers arrived at without listening? Ever experienced that? You have to walk in the spirit. That's not that's what you're not doing. And what does walking in the spirit mean? <laughs> yeah. Any others that you've ha experienced? You don't have enough faith. Thank you for that one. They can be incredibly hurtful, can't they? Because you're not listened to. So the need to heal or fix others, you need to have better boundaries. Any others? <laughs> it covers a lot, yeah, it does. You shouldn't feel that way. That's a thank you, Sue. I'll take back what I said before now. <laughs> and this is a good one. The need for certainty, the need for control, the need for looking good. Wow. Oh, I wish I could shut that man up. He's so inappropriate. <laughs> or those people need to discipline their children in a biblical way. Have you ever had that? <laughs> What about personalising everything? Does Adrian really think I'm not giving enough? He keeps talking about money. So everything becomes really personal to me. Emotional detachment. So I keep everything on a rational level and there's no emotional expression when I'm talking about a very painful event. Suck it up and let it go. It's only hurting you. So that's what I might say to get around that, keep it very rational. I think you've said that to me once. I was going to say <laughs> it was more natural the other way. You said it to me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> We've got another one of those gridlocks. Selective listening. God, don't we all do that? <laughs> Selective listening. I'll only take on board those ideas which fit into my framework. So we, very, we listen selectively all the time. And remember Barry did that sermon on the mental crusher? All this information out there comes through my mental crusher where I have to crush it down and make it fit what I think it should fit. And then the last one, preset notions of real community. We have to eat lunch together afterwards to have real community or we have to have a coffee together or we haven't got real community. 
We have to start at 9.30, it's 10 o'clock now. You better get that in your head. <laughs> or we haven't got real community. Next slide, thanks. And Crab says this, perhaps that's a good definition of spiritual community. Spiritual community should be a safe place to hit bottom. We all need a place safe enough to embrace our brokenness, our failure and our inability to cope and a place again to discover life. Does that touch some longings in you? So after we, we give up those things that we don't need, and I think the Bible calls it repentance, <laughs> we sacrificially give those up, we actually move into community. And, and it's not something that you can create. We know when we're in community, we know that there's connection, we know that there's harmony, and that's what we long for. Um, we had a little uh, issue earlier this week when we both went to a um, working with grief workshop where we had to go through chaos to move into community. And it kind of started, was it before lunch or after lunch? I can't remember. But they had a, um, an exercise that we were supposed to do on grief. And I leaned over and whispered, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> it was, the, the exercise was the important part of it, was we had to form groups of three. And here was I. My background is in accounting, and I was sitting in a room with a about... A rule keeper, you are. Yeah, a rule keeper. <laughs> and sitting in a, rule, uh, a room full of uh, people that are therapists. Yeah. And so I was a fish out of water. And um, I, I was thinking, well, I would like to do what they're suggesting. I was a bit curious about it, but I was incredibly anxious. Mm. And so you are my comfort blanket. And so I was preparing to settle my anxiety down and go and do this groupy thing with these therapists and um, you decided to, to exit. And you said, I'll come with you. And I thought, okay, fine. So we're walking up the street and you're upset. <laughs> and I'm thinking, but, but don't you understand? We had this conversation last night and I shared with you some deep grief for me and... And, um, and I'm teaching tonight and I don't want to unravel before I teach. Um, don't you understand that? But I didn't tell you that. I just kept that inside. And I just wanted some emotional distance mm. from you at that point. And yet what I was caught up with was uh, there was a disappointment that I really did want to do that, but I was anxious about it. And I, was, I, di I didn't express that need to you. I did what I normally do in those cases was, well, if I'm feeling a little bit bad, I have to blame someone. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at that. <laughs> and so you, you are available. And, yeah. and so because you pulled out of that group, uh, I, I took up a fence and I said, nah, mm. you know, we ask people to go into groups. Mm. And here we are, this guy asked us to go in a group and we're exiting. Mm. And so that's where the conversation started to hit. That's and your complex wife. <laughs> yeah. And we got it ourselves into a bit of a, um, a yeah. brittle and a hard place. Mm. And, and so we went back to the mm. uh, seminar and, and had lunch together. That was delightful. And, and started to talk through it. And in a sense, it reminds me of what you were just saying about the groups. Mm. You, you know, when we were sitting there in that seminar, we were enjoying each other's company. Mm. It was pseudo-community. And then we got into this conflict. Mm. How did we move from the conflict to uh, an emptying? Mm. What was emptying for you? 
Um, I, I had to be... Oh, I've had to recognise that you cannot read my mind and I actually need to express those things and that, that in some sense you would legitimately upset because I didn't, I didn't tell you what was on my heart. I just wanted you to intuit that and yeah, expected you yeah. to already know it. And so I had to move into that humble place rather than stay angry with you and, and tell you what was on my heart. It was a, that's interesting that you said that because my process was to actually acknowledge that I needed something. Mm. And what mm. I needed was for you to be there with me in that group to mm. lower my anxiety levels so that I could have that experience mm. that I was curious about. And in mm. a sense, I felt that I'd missed out on that. Mm. But I needed to tell you. Uh, what my need was because you couldn't intuit it no, either no. and so we began to discuss what was really mm. going on there and it was a little bit awkward and brittle at, at, at the beginning but we got into a space where it was a, a little bit clearer mm. um, and so we pushed through the conflict mm. and, and started working out what needed to be discarded mm. so that we could mm. Uh, move into a, a nicer place. And I was able to say to you, if you know, if you'd have told me that, I'd have been there with bells on. You know, I'd have stayed and yeah, sat with you. Did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we didn't communicate that to each other. Yeah. 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 It was interesting because the next exercise he got us to do was to draw a, um, an image of what came up when he was talking about mm. some grief in our life. Mm. And, uh, and you made me do it. <laughs> I did, I did. You had to participate in that one. And, and so we both drew images and because of what had gone on before, we, we began to share the images and for me it was very, um, I learnt some things about you that I didn't know before and it's an ongoing thing that we want to do. And so I learnt some things about me that I didn't know before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I said at the beginning that this is not a new problem. And if you have your devices or your Bible, you might like to turn to Romans 14. Next slides, thanks, Rob. And I'm going to read Romans 14 to you from the message. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table, while another with different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticising what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is pretty much like any other. There are good reasons either way, so each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What's important in all this 
is that you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for the prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for the broccoli. <laughs> None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God that we're all answerable to. All the way from life to death and everything in between. It's not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. I really don't have to say much about that. I think that translation says it all. But basically what Paul's saying to the Romans is, hey guys, learn to accept each other. We're all different and we all have different ways of handling things. Paula and I have mentioned we approach problems differently. We are different. And God says, hey, just accept each other. Don't judge. That's not our role. God is the master. We are the servants. We're fellow servants. He does the judging stuff. That's not our function. That's not part of what we're here for. And then the other thing is, in a sense, show deference to others. If we were to read on in 14.13 there, Paul says, if there's a weaker brother, don't cause a stumbling block. That's what Peck was talking about when he was talking about emptying ourselves. What's, can I give, give something up without really sublimating who I am just so that my brother can grow in Christ? We can show a bit of deference. We can empty ourselves a little bit just to help someone else along the road. In Ephesus, Paul's teaching and, and their relationship with Jesus tore down barriers that in normal society would never have been torn down. When we gather here as this community, the possibility is when we and when our hearts are in tune with God and with each other, that incredibly massive walls can be smashed to the ground because that's what Jesus does and he does it very well. <laughs> I can remember about 40 years ago, Paula and I headed off to the United States so that I could go to Bible college over there. It was about New Year's Day, sweltering hot here in Sydney. We landed in Chicago a couple of days later and there was a blizzard. And so there was a massive change for us. And I can remember settling into that time in, in, in Bible college there. And it came to the first Easter. I'd been brought up here in Australia and my parents in the earlier part of my life were not particularly uh, spiritual. They were a little bit religious. And so every Good Friday, we weren't to play. And so for a young kid, I sort of didn't look forward to Good Friday, not that I remembered when it would turn up. But we knew that you couldn't go around, you couldn't make a lot of noise, and there was something sombre about that day and it was imposed on us. And so here I'm a, I am in America, and uh, on Good Friday there's a knock on the door and I'd just begun to make some American friends over there. And this guy who was the assistant dean of students there, he says, hey Barry, come on out and play a game of baseball with us. 
and I like baseball. I actually did it at high school. And so my heart leapt and I thought, yeah, yeah. oops, it's Good Friday. I said, it's Good Friday. We can't do that. And he looked at me quizzically. What? What's wrong with that? I did go and play baseball. I got over it very quickly. But you know, over there, the emphasis is on a resurrection Sunday. When we walked to church, the snow would be just melting on the ground and the daffodils would be pushing through the ground. The spring was breaking. The birds were singing. It was amazing. It made you feel good to be alive. And so in the Northern Hemisphere, because it was in spring, the emphasis was on Resurrection Sunday. Here in Australia, it's autumn. Things are dying. And, it's, uh, and it, all of a sudden it hit me how temporal some of those things are that we attach to. There are things that we can just surrender for the good of the community. We're going to go into communion time and I'm going to read from the Bible, Philippians chapter 2. This passage in the Bible is called the kenosis passage, the emptying passage. And this is what it says. He, Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider it equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. In verse 7 it says there, rather he made himself nothing. In some other translations it's in, translated, he emptied himself this did not mean that Jesus emptied himself of his identity as being God. This did not mean that Jesus ceased to be God. He voluntarily set aside his God attributes. When he was on earth, he got tired. He got hungry. But he set those things, the, the, his God attributes aside so that you and I might have a relationship with him. That you and I might have community with Jesus. We're going to go and have some communi communion now. And as you go to the stations, one there, one up the back and one over on the side, I've put some pieces of paper on them and some pens if you don't have any. And I don't want to uh, impose on your time of being with Jesus, but if you would like to think about this question for me, what is it in your life that you could set aside so that, th that this community here, our church, could grow to be more authentic and more real? What is it that you, me, could set aside to achieve that end. And I'd like you to write that down on that piece of paper. And we're going to collect it later, so someone will read it. If you want to disguise your writing, just write with your other hand or something like that. The other thing I'd like to put on that you to put on there is, how could you do that? What's something that you could do to move toward that? What I would do if I was to sit down and write it, and I will write it actually. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit gun shy in this relationship department. I've been in lots of churches over my lifetime. Hey, I've been hurt. 
And so what I tend to do when I come into a group like this is to back off a little bit. Just a little bit of self-protection, a little bit in reserve, I'll just hold it back. You know, for me to move through that barrier, I can't. That's a God thing. I have to ask him to help me. I say, God, only you can do that. But what's something practical I could do to help me to get moving? And I've been talking to Paula about it this morning. When we come back, I, I would like to have people over for lunch so that we can get to know them a little bit better and that I can move more into that place where I can risk being hurt again and ask God to take care of it. So you might have something that you can write down there. And um, the other thing that I would like you to write on the list is, what stage do you think our church is at? Are we pseudo-community? We may be in conflict. You may think that. Or it may be that we're in the emptying stage. Or you may think that we're in the place where we're at real community. Our church has had a bruising time over the last period of time, over the last few years. And I'm sure there are couples, there are people here that have lost friends that they've had for a long time. And that would be very painful. Why would you try and do that again? And I think back to that church at Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles, worshippers of one God and idolaters, and they're all coming together because Jesus, he busts those barriers down. He breaks them. That's the power that he offers to you and I in community. So as you take the cup and the bread, symbols of the one who emptied himself for us, what can you offer to our church community? And if you take the time to write that down, what's something practical you could do? Where do you believe we are as a church community? Would you do that for me? Thank you. To those that are new, there's three stations to the sides and the rear. 